Hey folks, welcome back to the DC Treecast. My name is Brian. With me, as always, are Vince and Zach, or as uh, I like to call them, the my uh, my Billy Joe Armstrong and Trey Cool. <laughs> uh, <laughs> You're Mike Dern. I'm, the, I'm, a, I'm a bass player. Yeah, I guess. Okay. Yeah, that's what I do, man. So uh, <laughs> we're here to talk about the DC comics coming out on the 9th of August, starting with. Uh, Batman Urban Legends number 18. We're going to talk about two of these stories. We're talking about Signal and the Outsiders, part one, written by Brandon Thomas, illustrated by Alberto Jimenez Albuquerque. Um, Vincent, you're the one who wants to talk about these stories, which I, I'm glad you suggested them because I think they're they're very good. But uh, talk to us about this. What what was it about this that jumped out at you? Well, um, I just think, you know, I, I, I have fond memories of the outsider stuff that Brandon Thomas did before. Um, even though, even though it was, it was a little uneven, like it wasn't the best book I ever read, but it, it's a configuration of a team that I like. And I like Duke and I generally like Thomas's writing. Um, and so anytime he's at the plate, I'm, I'm willing to check it out. You know, even if, even if the outsider stuff didn't hit 100% of the time, you know, um, and I love the structure of this uh, issue. Ha- you know, a- after reading it, like I just think it was such a smart way to comment on the team and comment on what the outsiders are, what purpose they serve. And he, he shows you these little vignettes of basically the the outsiders have adopted a fifth chair idea where it's always going to be um, who help me out here. What's the makeup of the team? It's going to be metamorpho. Um, uh, um, Black Lightning, Katana, and Duke, right? And Duke, and then a fifth chair, and so that's a great structure. It is, it is, and I wish, oh, I, I, I wish more. I wish there were more team books, and I wish there were more team books that, uh, explicitly advertise themselves in this way, where it's like, okay these are the members that are going to be there for the long run. These are members that are going to get rotated out every couple issues or whatever. Um, but that's just not a thing that I guess re- most readers are interested in. Cause, cause team books are kind of a, a thing that just d- doesn't really happen <laughs> anymore. I guess. I don't know. At DC anyway, um, I feel like the team books that happen now, and this is going to sound crazy, but hear me out. I feel like the Justice League books that have happened lately, you could almost put anybody in the book and it wouldn't change the story because the story is about the Justice League, not about the members of the Justice League. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, I think I think you're spot on. I think I think that's absolutely right. Um, and I think that's why most of the time that team is kept with a very generic roster, which is unfortunate. Um, but this is great. This This has like little vignettes where... Robin is a member of the team in one of them. Then Green Arrow. Then uh, Shiloh Norman, Mr. Miracle. Um, just really fun. And you only get like a page or two of each of those, but it's just really fun configurations for the team. And and again, just a, a comic that is not decompressed then. It's very it's very uh, breezy and it gives you a lot in its, in its uh, I don't know how many pages it was, but it was about um, twenty. It, it was it was nearly a normal size issue, yeah. or right at. Was it okay? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It di- it didn't feel that long. It, and yet you still got a lot out of it. And then and then when it focuses more on Duke and trying to, 
um, get to the bottom of what happened to his mother. Uh, that stuff is really well done and affecting, I think. And the way that Bruce is ultimately roped in is, you know, it's very easy to make Batman a guest star in these things and have you roll your eyes. And I almost did for a little bit. And, but in the end it ended up being kind of like uh heartwarming or affecting and, and like Bruce's uh, role in all of this is very nice to see. I think, you know, it's, it's very much the, like Bruce is the concerned uh, father figure or whatever. Um, and I, I always like when they do that. So, and the Albuquerque art is, is good. I, I don't have much to say about that. It's, it's serviceable. It doesn't, it's not showy. It doesn't do anything uh, extra. Um, it just, it does the job. Zach? Uh, yeah, I actually, I really enjoyed this. I too really enjoyed the like five, the fifth chair setup thing. I, I, I really wish this was an ongoing, you know, I think I bounced off of the Brian Hill uh outsiders pretty hard um it just it just wasn't my cup of tea um but i do really like this team and i like duke at the center of it um and i i wish we got this more regularly um it would be really cool if this this reminds me of like the the arc of batman and robin where it was like batman and you know dot 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 or um i think there have maybe been other books that have had like a similar gimmick too. Um, I think this would be a really fun status quo for, for such a book. And uh, I'm, I'm glad that we are getting a more stories with this team and, and a progression of Duke's story, because I think we've talked many times with like the way DC handles Duke and how he, he gets these mini series or one shots or he's included in other people's books and, and he's kind of been in uh, in a state of arrested development since Snyder kind of let go of him. Um, and, and I, I think he kind of deserves more than that. And, and I'm glad that they're finally moving ahead the, the like s- plot threads with his mom, because I, I can't even like, Ah oh, man, I I can't even remember like how long that has been a thing in his in his character. You know, I, I feel like it's been just the core thing of his character for so long. Um, so it's cool to see that finally moving ahead. Um, I alluded to this on last week's episode, but it, this this got me thinking about how these stories are collected because I I really wasn't sure. Um, you know, there's a there's an editor's note in here referencing back to a story in Future State. Um, we had that Duke one shot that was a part of the I think it was a Secret Files thing, right? Yeah. Yes. Um, and then we've had these various um, outsider stories that I think have mostly been happening in Urban Legends. Is that right? Yeah, that one of them might have been in an anthology of some sort. Maybe, yeah. Um, and I and was one of. Oh, one ahead. of them, one of them was part of Future State as like a, as the backup, as a right. backup in one of the book. Did you already say that? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, no, no, you're good. Um, that was what kind of like that was like Thomas's first work on 
Duke and yeah. Outsiders, I think. Um, yeah. And then everything else. I think early on in Urban Legends, there was a story that like had the future state timeline and the current timeline. And then, yes. and then we have this story. And there might have even been another one um, that I'm misremembering. But um, I was looking at how like Duke stories have been collected. And all, all I could find was a – there was a collection of that three-issue miniseries – with the backups from all-star batman that snyder did oh wow uh, there was of course the batman and the outsiders book that that brian hill did and then these i didn't realize batman urban legends is being collected like as volumes of just batman urban legends so it's like all of these issues mm, packaged together which I guess is the simplest thing and does make sense, but I, I kind of almost expected DC to be packaging these as like trades of collected, uh, like, like thematic stories or something like that. You know, like we would have right. trades of like outsider stuff right? or, or, you know, other kind of similar stories because like the, like I expected the red hood, story to be its own trade but no it's it's all just like batman urban legends well i, I wonder if they're doing a double dip on that and one day when there's enough red hood stories from these sorts of things that that'll now be its own thing yeah well i i think like that that red hood story was like a six six issue you know 20 odd page stories which would which would be like enough for a a red hood kind right, of evergreen right. trade thing um but it, it really, I feel like, makes it harder if you're like a trade reader to keep up with these stories, unless you're just buying the whole Urban Legends package. But then you're then you're getting a lot of stuff that you might not be interested in. So, like, if you're a Duke reader, it's kind of hard to follow his stories right now. Um, you really have to like follow the solicits really closely to know like when there's a story in one of these anthology books and. And, it, and you know with as as like untrustworthy as solicits can be sometimes I, I just feel like it's a really it's not necessarily a bad way but i i just i feel like dc definitely has some growing pains with the way that they're using these anthologies to tell in continuity you know in some ways like character defining stories I don't disagree with that, though I would say that um, we don't know how character defining these stories are going to be because we have no idea if, they're, if anything's going to stick from them. Like so well, many times DC does stuff like this and then sure. it's sort of gone a year later or a few years Well, later. I guess I say character defining because like this is like the only stories with sure. that are in continuity. You know what I mean? Like, And this is like what other writers will assume. Like, if, if they're going to build off anything, it has to be this because that's all there is. Right. That makes sense. No, I mean, I, I think that the, the most underwhelming part of this was the art, which was not bad. It was perfectly criminal art, but it was it, it was not sort of my, it, you know, it, it's not my particular favorite style or anything like that. But I thought Albuquerque did a good job of balancing, like, the, um, the mania that Duke is feeling because he's not going to get any sleep with the action that we're going to overall, you know, it's it, it, the art did a nice job of, of continuing the sort of feeling that we've 
that you think you'd get from a character who's, you know, exhausted and also playing superhero and all that. That that was really good. Um, but what I loved about this so much is that rotating fifth chair, that modular team idea. That is such a good idea. We haven't seen it in a very long time. I'm trying to think, Zach, you're right, or Vincent, I forget who said it. There, there have definitely been books with that premise before. Um, besides, like, obviously, like, uh, you know, a um, a Brave and the Bold type book where it's Batman plus someone else. But I specifically like the idea, though, of, of a, a character joining a team for a short amount of time. And it would be cool if even, like, you know, let's say, you know, Shiloh Norman teams up with the Outsiders and whether in story or editorially it goes so well that then that guy becomes a member of the team and someone else rotates off like i just i just like the idea of of this more modular heroing i think it's a very very fun idea and i think that the the duke stuff is really is really working in terms of the emotional impact of his mom's disappearance i think that that story definitely has legs and i think the way like vince said the way that uh, Bruce is brought in here really helps that story have a little extra gravitas, and I, I just think it's it's a it's off to a good start. I like this this story a lot, and uh, thank goodness we're getting more Duke stories because I thought for a while there that he was going to essentially just you know fly away once when Snyder was done with him. Um, you know what this story did kind of make me think though is how much like how many like big important people in the dcu are investing in duke uh making it seem like he he is almost becoming like this nightwing-esque figure and that he has so many mentors and so many people kind of like building him up for the future but it it doesn't really feel like DC is at, at the same time doing that, like on a meta level, you right. know, um, like reading this, I feel like, you know, 10 years from now, Duke could be like the center of the DCU. And, and I like, that sounds hyperbolic, but like from a, from like a logistical, like story standpoint, I feel like that is where these kind of stories are like positioning him. Um, but that'll that, that'll never happen. <laughs> Unfortunately, I won't say never, but it's highly unlikely. Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> highly unlikely since about the best odds we can get for that. Um, but the second story in this anthology that we're going to talk about is a story called "The Pennyworth Files," Chapter One: The Fall of the Scales, written and illustrated by Chris Burnham, and this is just a straight up Alfred story, and. Um, has there been a character death that has been more uh, reviled by everybody in comics than <laughs> Alfred's? Because everybody, anytime anybody can write Alfred still, they do. <laughs> Nobody respects Alfred's death. Uh, and with good reason, because Tom King did it for no reason. Um, but yeah, what did you guys think of this uh, this very fun Alfred story? Um, my big takeaway is that uh, Chris Burnham is nearly as good a writer as he is an artist. <laughs> yeah. I, I thought the writing in this was very, very well done. It's really smart. It's really like, this isn't the way that Alfred 
always talks obviously because different writers get their hands on him and you know he has slightly different voices but the choice that he makes to write alfred as this very like um very eloquent speaker you know mm-hmm. like and very much like very much like keen to become the sherlock of of the moment you know including like the language that goes along with it. Like he's so giddy about getting to solve this mystery, you know, and, and, and just the kind of the rhythm of the dialogue therein is, is just really smartly done by Burnham. Um, he's really charming and not stuffy. Yes. 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 When he's having tea with that, with that lady and trying to get a, a, a clue for the next bit of the mystery, like, there's a whole implied history there, or maybe there's not, but it just seems like there should be because of the way that their conversation is just so rhythmic, you know? He um, really, what it made me think of, he, it makes me think of an old actor who is trying to like play a, like a cross of like Sherlock Holmes and James Bond, essentially which, kind of. Which Alfred is, he's all yeah. those things. Yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> At very just really smart because he is literally all of those things. He's been like a he's been a, a, a on Her Majesty's Secret Service agent, basically. Right. Um, he's been an old old school actor, theater actor. Yeah, it's it's just it's an amalgamation of all those characters that's just really wonderfully charming and well done. And you could like I was coming here for Burnham's art, really, and you you know me, like I am not interested in the Pennyworth story. One one of my running jokes is about <laughs> Epix's Pennyworth. Because like, uh, excuse me, it is now HBO Max's Pennyworth. Oh, HBO Max's Epix's Pennyworth. Yeah, um, yeah, because like yeah, illustrated who... by Jorge Fornes, <laughs> <laughs> illustrated by um, no, by uh. uh was it not Juan, Juan, Juan Gideon. Oh, it was Gideon. You're right. I'm mixing up my very good artists whose talents are squandered by DC. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. Right. Jorge Fornes did um, the uh, Warshock comic. Warshock. Oh, yeah, exactly. God. Exactly. Gun to my head, which of those would I rather read? I, I don't know. <laughs> um. Anyways, yeah, I could not care about the premise of this, except that now it's it was really good and it was really charming, and and now I can't wait to read the next one. Yeah, someone else talk. No, th- th- this is excellent. This is very fun. Like you said, uh, I think it was Zach said he's he's not stuffy. He's charming, which is like the perfect description of Alfred here. I also love that Alfred has a day off and like cannot wait to go antiquing. That seems like <laughs> a very Alfred move, and. Alfred does the thing that I feel like a lot of characters do when they need information from somebody where like he goes to that old lady's house and he's kind of flirting, but you know, he has no interest in her whatsoever. He's just like, he's just priming her for information and it's handled so well. And the story manages to actually be funny. So many times a story like this will attempt to be funny, but it's, it's not actually funny. This is actually funny in points and it i don't think alfred does anything here that is shockingly out of character for the for like who he is yet this also doesn't feel like 
other Alfred stories we've gotten. It's just great. It's super enjoyable, and I can't wait for the second part of this. And this is something that I wish DC would collect in its own little trade because I don't. I'm probably not buying an Urban Legends trade, but I would certainly buy that. Yeah, and uh, and of course, like the art is just top notch. You know, Burnham stuff, and like the the Fairburn co- colors are are so so good. Um, I love the bit uh, in the fish market where they're like in the back room and he shocks everyone. Yep. Um, the the color the colors are just like so they're they're just beautiful i i just it, it's so it just looks so good um i love the gags with him trying to contact bruce and bruce is just like too busy for alfred <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. um it's all just it's just all so fun and good i uh give me the the burnham verse where's the dc burnham verse if uh <laughs> if uh Mur- Sean Gordon Murphy gets his own. Yeah. Yes. Universe. Yeah. I need, I need the Chris Burnham verse. I hope it's just stories of like stylish fop Alfred. Yeah. Or or uh, Bat Cow. I feel like he always yes. did a lot of Bat Cow stuff. <laughs> yes. Uh, Vince, by the way, just to put a pin in something we talked about last time, uh, two weeks ago when Zach wasn't here, that Riddler Year One book is being advertised as a black label book. Riddler. Oh, the, 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 um, the Paul Dano book. Paul Dano one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So we had said we couldn't remember the last time a book was being, uh, mm, was being yep. labeled as black label and, and there it is. So got it. Well, isn't, I think, uh, there's still a lot of books that are black label right there, now, right? There are a lot of books that are being published that way, but there hasn't uh, been a book announced that way. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, sure. Okay. Okay. Well, let's take a break, and when we come back, we have two more books to talk about, so stay tuned. Hello, we're the hosts of the Multiversity Manga Club podcast. I'm Emily. I'm Zach. And I'm Walter. Each month, we pick a manga to read and discuss among ourselves. Past books include Monster, A Silent Voice, and Pokemon Adventures. We also look back on the past month's installments of Weekly Shonen Jump, discussing the highs and lows from the Viz Anthology. We've even discussed notable manga adaptations like Netflix's Death Note. At the end of each episode, we announce next month's book club pick so you can read along with us. We're always open to suggestions for future books as well. So join us on the first Friday of every month on multiversitycomics.com, Apple Podcasts, or your podcatcher of choice. And we are back with Dark Crisis, World's Led Justice League, Green Lantern number one, these titles are just too long. They're, they're just too long. Uh, but, hey, Danger Street is the other upcoming Black Label book. Ah, uh, yes. Okay. There we go. So this was written by... We're, Philip we're, we're just a bunch of dingbats. <laughs> Get it? Because that's what... That's yep. Danger yep. Street. Yep. Yep. Anyway. Uh, this is written by Philip Kennedy Johnson, illustrated by your friend and mine, Fernando Blanco. So Zach, I want to let you go off on this. I know you're excited to talk about this. Um, I don't, I don't know that I'm like necessarily excited to talk about it. Other than I, I did really like it. Out, outside of the fact, did you, did you guys know before reading this that John Stewart was a Marine or an architect? <laughs> I've heard tell. 
<laughs> You're not telling any tales out of school when you. Oh, uh, that. That, that just made me giggle a little bit. That like, that, that's how. The Even when he's ascended to godhood, we have to talk about his fucking military career. Yeah, you got it. Well, the writer. Yeah, I know, yeah. and I did think yeah. that. You know, I, I am not someone who has thrown Philip Kennedy Johnson into the like Tom King bin yet, but like. I, I guess they say you write what you know, but Charles Soule doesn't always write about law in every book that he writes. So I bet he does. Maybe he does. I don't I think don't. he does. Curse words had a lot of really interesting legal subtext in it. Did it? No, of course not. It's a fucking book about know. spells. And I, shit. I don't know. I don't know. It could have been the legality of spells and stuff. No. When you're allowed to say you swears. I don't know. Uh, but. This is, I mean, this is just a really fun, like, Elseworlds thing again. I, I like this just as much as the, the Superman one, which I also enjoyed. Uh, the This Revenant, what's it called? The Bright Revenant. Such great villain designs. That, like, giant gargoyle dark side baby thing. Yep. Beautiful. Loved it. Um, all of the the Green Lanterns that we know and then the, the Green Lanterns that we don't that or the, the the characters that we know that are Green Lanterns and have new designs like Natasha and Jason, Jason Todd, Todd. Uh, Kyle Rayner's new new look, uh, John Stewart. It's all so good. And um, man, I don't know. DC is making a really great case with Dark Crisis that maybe um, maybe we should have had again. Like I always come back to the like countdown to infinite crisis stuff what if we had had maybe this is too raw too fucked up maybe i shouldn't even say this but That's if we had, had if we had had mini series with each of these justice league worlds how how interesting that might have been it probably would have been no, way too much it would have been way too much yeah but i almost feel like a one shot is not enough for some of this stuff well i think like for instance with hal showing up in this world in dark crisis 3 I think we're going to get specifically more of this world in a future issue. Probably. I mean, obviously, yes, we will. Um, and and I am glad for that because I, I think it is really, really cool and, and interesting premise. And um, I guess now we have a better idea of what these worlds are, whereas we didn't when we had the Superman issue. Um Right. Well, I was going to say, this one is actually pretty dependent on you having read Dark Crisis 3. Yeah. Be because of both like the structure of, of the world itself and also the weaponized nature of these uh, of these worlds. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I really like the art in this. I thought the story was fine. I, I don't have a ton more to say about it. Um, the thing I wanted to add here is that uh, I'm glad Jason Todd wasn't a Green Lantern for very long. Like we didn't have to see much. I was afraid this was all going to be like edgy Jason Todd as Green Lantern, and I'm glad we didn't get that. So um, there, are, you know, there's some there's some grace in that. So thank goodness. Um, but I, I wanted to talk about how. This is basically, I don't know. 
I, I feel like like Zach and I had a long debate about the Superman issue about like how much of this was somebody recognizing that they're on a different world, like with Clark saying like you know uh, this time he survived, whatever. I get the impression that John Stewart has no idea that this is not his real life. Yeah, same. Uh, which, yeah, which there's, again, there's nothing, there's nothing explicit in there that would tell you that. Yeah, yeah. Right. Which is a little bit different from the other stories we've read so far. Both, both the Aquaman and Superman stories seem to have this implication of they knew something was off here. But neither this nor the backup really gave you that impression. Well, I think the backup maybe does. In that it almost that she seems remembers like, everything. Yeah, the way she remembers everything, but that she maybe thinks that this is just her next life. You right, know, right? Yeah, she she doesn't necessarily know that something is off. Right. Which is interesting. Yeah, we'll get to that in a few minutes. Um, but I thought the art in this was really fun. I think some of these designs are great. I. Uh, yeah, there, there's not a ton to say for me that hasn't already been said by Zach, but I, I greatly enjoyed this, and I hope that I hope that this type of story doesn't just get relegated to... Like I hope if we ever get more stories... I hope if we get more Jon Stewart stories, they take more chances than this one did, because this one feels very much like just every Jon Stewart trope that you know tossed into one minus Zanshi. I don't think we get any mention of that. No really. Of everything else, just like like you said, Zach, like he's a Marine and all that, you know, just very boilerplate. But as as predictable as some of the story beats were through this, I think that ultimately the art is so strong and the general concept is so strong that it doesn't read as a boilerplate as maybe it could have in other hands. I thought Johnson did an okay job with this. Yeah, I thought the twist of his sister being the power battery was, I mean, that was pretty out of left field. Yeah. I love that stuff. I, I love, that's, I, I've used this way too often, but that's almost Morrisonian where like, oh, I just, uh, I just made, uh, I just hid the power battery within a, within the visage of my sister who is also the age that she was when she died or was taken originally or whatever. Uh, you know, like it just, it's not over explained. It's just, he says it and you get it right. Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't, Oh, how did you make her into the power? It doesn't matter. It doesn't, yeah, doesn't, doesn't, matter. doesn't matter at all. Yeah. Yeah, it's like the poetry of the phrase that, you know, it's like I hid the power battery in the sentient living memory of my sister. Yeah. You know, that's say, like. And we just say, okay. And, all right, absolutely, yeah. yes. Yeah, you sure did. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's so many. I, I, I didn't love this, love this. Like, it wasn't transcendent to me, but it was just really good. And it, it, it did a lot of smart things with with John Stewart, I think that, that I've been kind of hoping for, which, which is that, you know, Brian, you said, you said it didn't mention Zanchi. I'm so glad that it didn't. Oh, thank God. Yes. <laughs> that it didn't dwell on that aspect of his character, but, but it is a specter in the background, even if it's never mentioned, like we bring that to the reading of this, right? 
And so for John Stewart to be in a world where I think towards the end, somebody says something like, I'm trying to find the quote here. Somebody says something about John Stewart uniquely can do things that nobody else can do with these powers. Right. Mm -hmm. I, I wish I could find the quote, but it's something like, like in it's, it's what his mom says at some point to the sister. Yeah. Yeah. I just can't find where it is in here and I don't want to trip up by sitting here and looking for it, but Oh, here we go. He's going to do what he does, sweetie, the things no one else can do. And it explains how like, you know, John didn't have any limitations to whatever these power, the, the green lantern power was, you know, in this particular world. And um, so much so that like he founds this lantern team, he recovers the power battery and hides it in his sister somehow, you know, like it, it's, we know because we're bringing the Zanshi stuff to it, that this is all meant to be something in John's subconscious that like, what if he could just do anything and save Zanshi, you know, Zanshi's never mentioned, but like there, there's a, there's a, there's the weight of failure there in his history that if you think about the way that John would want to see himself, like what he would, and of course anyone would wish for unlimited power to be able to save whatever, but like uniquely to John Stewart, like this idea that he's saving earth and he's the only one that can is something that would be attractive to somebody who let down an entire planet. You know? Right. And, and even the way that he resurrects his sister feels a little bit like what you would do if like what he would do if he could get a take back on Zanji too, right? He would he would resurrect Zanji as well. I mean maybe he has in this world, but thankfully mm -hmm. we're not dwelling on it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um and they don't dwell on the military background really. They don't dwell on any they don't dwell on anything that has been beaten to death with John Stewart. You know, this is it's a short story, so they don't spend a lot of time anyway on, on anything to do with his character. But like Johnson doesn't take like one aspect of his character and drive it into the ground, which I think is that's my number one criticism. Anytime somebody writes John, you know, like just John here feels like um, a different person in the way that John would hope to see himself in an ideal world, which I think is the point of these stories. You know, he gets to be an architect now, or he gets to work on projects like that. He doesn't get dragged into battle after battle, which is something that like a former military person that potentially has PTSD or somebody who let down an entire planet would beg for, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, Johnson doesn't dwell on any of this stuff. He lets us bring it to the character and it informs this world that we got. And then, and then you don't have to spend a lot of time. And to Tom King's credit on his story too, he, he kind of did the same thing. Like it would have been very easy for a writer to dwell on the fact that, uh, Clark missed John's growing up. But instead, it's just a line tossed off at the very end, just saying, like, I got to see him grow up, you know? He doesn't sit there and go, like, uh, 
you know, when you were away with Mr. Oz, you know, like <laughs> it's mostly left as context that we bring to their relationship. And so I think so far, you know, I didn't love that issue, but I appreciate the way that writers are approaching these where they're not feeling like they need to overload it with context. It's playing upon things that we are already bringing to these characters that we've spent tons of time with already. Yeah, um, that's a really good point. Yeah. This and the is... art, all oh, the art. Uh, that, that's what I wanted to say that I mentioned in the in the, in the previous issue uh, where we talked about the Dark Crisis and how good the art was. Um, you know, Fernando Blanco drawing a Green Lantern title. I don't think that's ever happened. Um, and it looks really good. And I... I'm begging for new Green Lantern books that have really good DC st stable artists on them. Yeah. This is not like a name or a style that I would have ever pegged for Green Lantern, but it works, mm -hmm. I think. Uh, Blanco's just really good. Yeah. Isn't yeah, it funny? I, I I always think the Green Lantern stuff in these events is always some of the best stuff. Even the, specifically, even the John stuff. He, you know, Green Lantern and John uh, were kind of like front and center in the Multiverse's End issue that I, you know, slobbered over so much. So, yeah. Part of it is, uh, part of it is, I think we're thirsty, right? Probably, yeah. Yeah. Well, what <laughs> that was doesn't gonna... make the books any less good. Yeah. I do think it's pretty funny that uh, I think it's in Dark Crisis. It might be no, no. I'm sorry, it's in this one. It's the like um, that page of like prologue text where it talks about how there's all these different Earths for different heroes, and it says like Earth Superman, Earth Batman, Earth John Stewart. They they don't they won't just call him Green Lantern because there's multiple Green Lanterns, but just it's just very funny how all of these characters are given their like superhero names except he's given his regular name. Um, let's talk about the backup a little bit. The, there's a Hawk Girl backup that is written by Jeremy Adams, illustrated by Jack Herbert. And my my main note for this is that I think that this is the story of all the ones we've gotten so far that feels the least like an Elseworlds story. This just kind of feels like a Hawk Girl story to me. Mm -hmm. That's not a bad thing, or or good. That's not, that's not inherently one thing or the other. It's just it's just interesting that this one feels a little bit like it could be just a regular, like a new hawk girl one shot. Yeah. I, yeah. And I think that does come down to like what I mentioned. It seems like this, this hawk girl is almost just like our hot girl living another life, you know, the next life. Sounds um, like you're saying hot girl. She is our hot girl. Yeah. Uh, it's hot girl summer. Yeah. Yes, it is. Um, I think that it is interesting how kind of like the closing stinger of each of these stories has felt so inconsistent. <laughs> yeah, totally. this, one, this yeah. one's really funny. <laughs> um, like, like the the Superman. I guess the Superman. I this one ended. I just looked yeah, it up. Yeah. <laughs> I feel, I feel like the Superman and the Green Lantern ones ended on like a more similar tone of like 
the heroes are happy, even though there is a difference there of where it seems like Clark kind of remembers things and John doesn't. So there, there is a bit of discrepancy there. But then, the, like, the Aquaman one ended up with him, like, basically, like, almost kind of, like, breaking the fourth wall and, like, swearing vengeance against yep. DC Editorial, basically. <laughs> um, and then uh, this, again, kind of, like, playing coy with the reader where you just have Pariah just appear in out of nowhere and, and chuckle, essentially, like, hee hee, look, look what I'm doing. Um, I I don't... Again, it's just we do know more now than we did in that first issue, but we still we still know so little about the Keyblade War. <laughs> That's a Kingdom Hearts quote. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I, I I just don't as a story. I don't really know how I'm supposed to feel about it or what to take from it. Again, it's like you know I talked about in the 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 Superman issue where it's like, we're, we're reading these both as individual stories and as a story within the dark crisis event. And because we don't really know how to read these within dark crisis fully, you only can read them as individual stories. And as an individual story, this was just okay. I think. Yeah. The pariah laughing at the end is, is fantastic. Yeah. It's funny. He looks like yeah. a, what meme does he look like when he's laughing? I can't I can't remember what it is, but he definitely looks like something. He looks like Jeb laughing. A little bit. <laughs> he looks like the old guy clutching him his uh chest in the heart attack meme. The yes. meme. A little bit, yeah. Um or not I guess not Jeb laughing, but like where he you know, where he's like leaning back with like, his he, mouth open. That's yeah. what I'm he's, thinking of. He's won all the electoral votes. Yeah, it's that yes. meme. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, this yeah, is this is a really obscure Simpsons reference. He also looks like Troy McClure starring in the Erotic Tales of Hercules. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. The woman runs up like Hercules. The Cyclops tore off all my clothes. He just goes ha, 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 ha. like that's that's what he looks like. Yeah. Here. <laughs> yeah. It's also just a really classic nut face. Yes, it, it is. is. Yeah. Yeah. If you took away the ha 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 stuff. Yeah. Exactly. It's kind of like a. Even if you just change some of those H's to A's so that it was yeah. just ah. If you put an A at the start, then it t- completely changes. It's like a magic eye or something. It completely <laughs> changes. It's an optical illusion. Yeah. So- some see a vase. Some see pe- two people kissing. You dumb yeah. bastard. It's a sailboat. <laughs> Schooner is a sailboat. Stupid at it. So, yeah. Aside from Pariah's nut face, I don't, I don't know if there's that much more to say about this. Nah. We haven't seen Jack Herbert oh. art in a while, right? Uh, yeah, no, but we we will be talking about it again soon. I think. Oh, I don't know what that this is. This very night, to. even. Oh, 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 me. Oh, yes. Patreon.com slash DC3Cast. Okay. Um, so our final book of the week. No, just kidding. Different. Nope. Was that was that rebirth? Diff- no, it's different. It's a different. Uh, it's artist. a different. I was getting them mixed up. Okay, it's well, you still go to fill in art. <laughs> you yeah. still go to dc3cast.com for more uh, Patreon information. Um, but anyway, our final book of the week is Deceased War of the Undead Gods, number one, written by Tom Taylor, illustrated by Trevor Harrison. And my main note on this is how shockingly hopeful this book is. 
Like for a book that's about this like zombie virus that killed all these heroes, all of that's been not quite retconned, but like, you know, there's a, there's a lot of hopefulness to this story now. And it's sort of shocking to see a story like this not feel so endlessly bleak. And I dig that. I did, did that a lot. And Tom Taylor is just so good. He is just so good at writing superhero comics. And um, he's maybe the only person that can make this really work. And he sort of does. What do you guys think? Yeah, it's it's been the same story with this book, I think, across all the different series and whatnot. Um, I, it has no right to be as good as it is. It's got a premise that from the sounds of it, I couldn't care less about. And yet it's just a really good story with just chock full of great character moments. Um, I love that if a person were for some reason picking this book up uh, before reading any of the other deceased stuff, they, they would be like, okay, wait, so Damien's Batman and John is Superman and, I guess Cassie is Wonder Woman in this. And for some reason, Black Canary is a, a Green Lantern. And I just love I love the configuration of this team that you wouldn't expect and the way that it's kind of grown and mutated over the over the years. Um, and then like returning every time we return to it, it feels like going home to something that you had left behind for a little while. And and uh and then it builds to some really heartwarming moments, like when uh, Clark and Lois are reunited, and but then it's on Earth too, and she's the president, and just just all these things that Taylor's allowed to do because it's not in continuity. Um, ah, it's just full of that stuff. And I've really come around on the hair scene art too. I, I think when I first saw him on the deceased stuff. I wasn't crazy about it, but the more I see it, the more I like it as this kind of like, I think we've, we've made allusions to like very poor man's quietly. Cause quietly is like the best, but you know, there, there's a, there's an aspect of, or maybe that was, was that car? That was somebody else. Wasn't it? That was Carl. Uh, Carl, yes, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, uh, who, who had done who had done other uh, deceased stuff as well. So, quietly's not the right reference here, but like just, I, I've come to appreciate it more than I did anyway. Um, there's a lot of emotion here that that really comes through with hair scene stuff. Carl Mostert is who we're thinking of. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah that's the quietly. Um, Poor man's quietly, but anyway, my point still stands. There's like a, a bunch of emotion here that I can appreciate better than I did before. I think. Well, I feel like the book now kind of belongs to him. Yeah, you know, like the the art. Just when you think about deceased, this is what you think about now, and mm -hmm. so it, it it very much suits it suits his style because he's made the book into his style. Zach, what do you think of this? Um, I mostly really liked it, even though I actually don't think it's a very good first issue. Um, so I, I actually don't think I ever finished, um, Dead Planet, the second deceased book, but I kind of like got the gist of it. Um, this issue, like you, you get the 
kind of the cold open with with Kara going to New Genesis. And then you get like a very long, what feels like extended epilogue to the second series. Yes. And then it feels like the ending to this issue with Brainiac is kind of tacked on as an afterthought. It just well, kind of happens. Yeah, this. I think you're right about this not feeling like a um, like a good first issue. But I will say that I think this feels like a good issue of Deceased. Yes, absolutely. I I do agree with that. I just think it. It's almost kind of a just a continuation, really, which is fine. But it it I really I really did I was kind of like uh I had a bit of whiplash with the Brainiac bit because it's really just what, like three or four pages at the at the end of the issue. Yep. After you've had all of these big character beats, it's just like, oh, and, and now Brainiac's here and we, we're gonna continue the the plot, you know. Yeah, um, which is which is also dealt with a little bit in the Supergirl stuff at the beginning of the right, right, a issue. little, a, a little bit. Yeah, yeah, it's just it just happens. It it felt, um, I guess, it's really not a bad thing necessarily that the plot took a big backseat to the character moments and the character development. Mm-hmm. It it just felt like it could have maybe used a few more pages at the end to. Give, give the Brainiac stuff some room to breathe and to ha- have some weight after all of that really good character stuff. And I think that that's, that again goes to it being not a great first issue. Yeah. Like I, I, the, the book is called war of the dead gods or whatever. Dead gods. Yes. Undead gods. And, and that feels very much an afterthought to just, living in the deceased universe you know although that's what brainiac says at the end of the issue like the gods are coming i know i know but that i'm saying just like all of that stuff feels uh almost superfluous to the other stuff that's going on in the issue yeah yeah it is amazing though how when this was announced i i I know i did I, i think you guys did too and i think sort of the comics internet collectively said like oh look at this shitty ass uh marvel zombies ripoff but i think this has done way more interesting stuff than any marvel zombies title ever did i mean i've not really read any marvel zombies but i would wager that that's true yeah yeah i mean this just like like vince said this says crazy stuff this was you know, this book was doing John as Superman before the main DCU was. This yep. has Damien as Batman, uh, Black Canary as a Green Lantern. It looks like Cass Kane as a Shazam character, <laughs> or maybe Black Adam. Did you all catch that? Yeah, I, I wasn't sure like what the. Uh... I'm sure that was in Dead Planet. I'm and sure I, it was I wouldn't too. know if I had if I had read all that, but it's cool. <laughs> um, it's very cool to look at. Um, Superman has been in the sun, which is again, I mean, like, I have to, you love to see it. It's very Morrisonian. And now he has a cyborg arm, which I'm here for. Um, I, I think he should have come out as a golden Superman. Of course I also have. think he should have. Yeah, I definitely <laughs> think that that should have happened. Um, the bit with Alfred was really good. Yes. I thought, um, Yeah, I. This is just 
I like this universe a lot. Um, and, and I feel like I shouldn't, but I do. It's good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of good, what good comics are we reading next week, Vince? Uh, well, this isn't a good one, but Aquaman and the Flash Void Song, number three. Uh, Batman, one to be bad fair, day. We haven't read any of that. It could be great. <laughs> it's not. Um, Batman, one bad day. The Riddler, number one. I have read the first issue of Aquaman and the Flash Void okay. Song. Um, Batman, one bad day. The Riddler, number one. Uh, Batman, Superman, World's Finest, six. Batman, the Night, eight. Black Adam, three. Catwoman, 46. Dark Crisis, Young Justice, three. DC versus Vampires All Out War 2, Duo number 4, Harley Quinn 20, Nightwing 95, uh, and The Flash 785. Uh, you forgot Scooby-Doo, where are you? Once I, I never say Scooby-Doo. Well, I never say Scooby-Doo Scooby. because then if I say it, we're going to do, we're going to go into the James Austin Johnson <laughs> Trump. Uh, well, I wasn't going to go there. I was going to say that DC is relaunching their Batman and Scooby-Doo Mysteries series uh, in October after it ended like in March. Oh. That's all. But also, I mean, it is fair that Scooby doesn't do. So, um, they should call the show Velma. Of course. So, uh, anyway, uh, if you want to get in touch with us, two thirds of us on Twitter, I am at Brian is an app. And I'm at the Wook of Z. If you need to find Vince, he is, um, I guess are are we are we in training camps yet? Are we almost in training camps? We 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 did open training camp. Okay, so Vince is obsessing over training camp now. Yeah, I'm getting I'm just getting pissed at all the bad bad posters out there. Well, I'm a Mets fan on Twitter. I wouldn't know anything about bad posters. Uh-huh. So anyway, folks, thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. I walk off my